Hello and welcome to Ben's Multi-Story Podcast. On today's podcast, I'm talking to Nick Hodges, who is possibly one of the nicest people you're ever likely to meet. And he's used his story, which is one of tragedy, to create a really, really marvellous thing, a charity which helps lots of people. And he explains it far better than me. So, here's Nick Hodges. Hope you enjoy. I'm here with Nick Hodges, um, whose uh, role in all this will become apparent. I'm sitting in a, a boathouse. Um, the reason of which will become apparent. Uh, Nick has a story which um, is a story that I don't think anyone, I'm fair to say nobody, would want to have that story. Um, And it's kind of what's come out of that story, which is why I'm talking to you. Um, So I think it would be terribly remiss if we didn't talk about Bodhi. Yeah. Uh, And I think, I I know you've told the story a hundred times, but if you just want to kind of the the reason Nick Hodges is the is the the founder the patron the, the what are you the the, the Fi- yeah founder and chairman the head honcho of the yeah. Bodie Hodges Foundation so if you would just like to tell us who Bodie Hodges is was okay yeah no problem well uh, Bodie was uh, my ten month old son uh, when he sadly passed away um, this was back in May two thousand and twelve. Um, sadly, Bodie had uh, a choking accident at home, and um, as a result of that, was rushed into hospital um, and put up a you know a, a real fight um, in those first couple of hours, um, and was put onto a, a life support machine to try and, um, and and do what it could to try and save him. But we knew from very very early on because of the amount of time that he. Um, he was without heartbeat. Um, that he was facing an incredibly uh, difficult uh, battle, um, and one which was at best going to give him some um, severe life-changing um, kind of disabilities. Um, but as I say, that was absolutely at best. Um, after um, around about four or five days, um, we kind of started to realise that he'd kind of fought his battle and it was unlikely he was going to pull through um, and uh, that was a point when we were approached about organ donation now we at the time were just clinging on to absolutely anything that we could um, in terms of him surviving um, you know and we would have absolutely um, accepted anything to still have him with us you know whatever the consequences might have been um, but as I say, it did become apparent it was highly unlikely that that was going to happen. Um, so when we were approached about organ donation, it was something which we felt very strongly um, that he could go on and um, make a difference to other people's lives. And why wouldn't we want to do that? Um, and why wouldn't Bodhi want to kind of have an opportunity to leave a legacy? Um, so we were, um, say, approached about it. And at first we thought it was just going to be a... Um, a fairly short uh, period of time um, which the process uh, would happen over um, but due to the treatment drugs that he'd had um, over the course of the four or five previous days the levels of those were too high within his body um, and therefore um, organ donation couldn't actually be considered until they dropped to an, an acceptable level and nobody could actually give us an answer how long that would take so we took the view that yes we would love um, Bodhi to be considered for organ donation um, however if that was going to cause him any discomfort in any way um, then obviously we would have to let nature take its course um, We there were some initial tests that were run and it became apparent that it would probably take around about a week uh, to 10 days uh, before the uh, drugs would have um, dropped down to a suitable level and we were advised by consultants that it was highly unlikely um, that his organs would actually survive that long due to the lack of activity within his brain um, but and this is kind of like partly again about the kind of strength for courage and determination that he showed um, actually he did hold on in fact he was absolutely solid um, right from the um, from the kind of initial testing for the levels of drugs right through to him becoming a donor um, he, he stayed rock steady with all of his levels on everything um, and in fact, one of the um, organs which was donated in his liver um, actually improved to the point where it could be donated, despite the fact it didn't look particularly healthy um, um, early on. Um, so that was, you know, like almost like a minor miracle that happened. 
and um, say two weeks after we first came into the hospital um, eventually uh, we went through the 24 hours of, of um of testing um, and the procedures you go through once you kind of um, give the uh, kind of nod to go ahead with your organ donation and um, then once those tests were done there were uh, transplantees who were identified um, and then Bodie went down and he had his um, different surgeries to remove his um, organs um, and obviously you know give life to other children um, other babies who needed them um, and then he was um, beautifully returned to us at the um, in the ward, um, looking like a little angel. Um, and uh, you know, and then finally we said our goodbyes to him. Um, and obviously we've been through an incredibly traumatic time with everything that happened, but it was just that little kind of chink of light um, through organ donation, knowing that you know his legacy had started, um, and his kind of ten months on this earth had not only given us a lot of joy and um, a lot of love, but also he had made a big difference. So, and, and you know, I think any parent, any any human is gonna, at this point, you let that sink in, it's a horrific experience. Um, and you found this, this chink of light with the organ donation. Yeah. So then what? What's the next thought process for you? You've, you obviously, you want to grieve for your son. Mm-hmm. So, why? What? What? What's the next step? I guess. Where, where do you lie in bed, going? You know what? Foundation would be good. It, to be honest with you, the first month, well, first three, four weeks after it happened, I, I didn't know what was going on. Um, I didn't know what was going on. My wife didn't know what was going on. We had a, a, a daughter who was five. Both of us were just complete concern for her about trying to make sure that we could do everything we could to make sure that she was going to be okay. But that first few weeks was just, I can remember a lot about it. Um, but at the same time, it's just like you're kind of, it's almost like being in a film and you're kind of removed and you're watching someone else act out your life and you're kind of looking at it from a different place and you can't quite control it um just an incredibly incredibly dark time you've just feel you know every day is the same you know a weekend don't feel any different from a monday morning um things that did matter don't matter anymore um it just become it just becomes your your life is there's never a word that I've ever found that could describe how you feel. And I don't think there ever will be, but it's just everything is turned upside down entirely. Um, and obviously, you get a huge amount of support from friends and family. Um, you know, you kind of we said we were surrounded by a bubble really of love, um, but you know, even at that point, that that's not going to go on forever, and you've got to get back up on your own two feet. And you know, we had to do that for Lila, um, but at the same time, we. Um, we knew that that would take time as well um, and we ended up getting offered um, uh, by some friends um, they have a place over in Spain and they said look just go out there use it have some time um, and um, we decided to obviously take them up on that it was the first time really that I'd had something to kind of focus on and look forward to and I knew it wasn't really going to be a holiday as such it was just an opportunity to get away from what had really become a very much an unwanted spotlight that we were under um, you know everywhere we want people knew us as we were the family who just lost Bodhi uh, you know we were the family who, who were who were grieving and were bereaved and you know and that's difficult at times things like school runs and stuff like that you know you want to avoid the playground because people don't know how to deal with you um, but at the same time you know that you've got to face them again at some point so the opportunity to go away where nobody knew what had happened um, and we were just you know uh, you know a normal family um, on the surface of it that seemed like a great idea and it was um, and it was welcome bit of sunshine and as I keep saying I'd much rather be crying in the sun than I would be in the uh, grey miserable rain in England of which that point in the year it was it, I think I seem to remember we had about two or three months of seems to be continuous rain from May through to about June uh, sorry from April through to about June um, so uh, yeah we went over to Spain and it was 
incredibly difficult. The first three, four days, if someone had offered us a flight back home, I think we would have jumped on it straight away. Um, but by the end of the week, we actually started to have a little bit of fun with Lila. Um, we started to do the sort of things that families do. And we started to actually smile again a little bit. And I think that was the first time in probably four or five weeks that we'd done that. Um, so that kind of got things going a little bit in thinking, actually, you know, this is something that everybody should have the opportunity to do. And then we had some other friends, as soon as we returned, um, have a place down in Cornwall. We had a holiday home, which ironically is, is actually next door to um, where they live. And it was an old uh, uni friend of mine. And they said, come on down, we've got a free week. Um, and because it was the second time we'd been away, we found this one a lot easier. And actually one week ended up turning into two. And um, he's got daughters around a similar age to Lila at the time. Um, and again, we kind of felt that love again and we were kind of wrapped up and looked after. But again, we had nice weather, we were going down the beach, we were going out and doing things and it just gave us that chance to be, um, get back on our feet a little bit more and give us something to look forward to, gave us something to enjoy while we were down there. And that's really where the idea came because I thought everybody needs this. Um, but we knew that there are a lot of families who aren't in a financial position to be able to actually afford to go away. You know, you might have someone who's had um, a child with a long-term illness and therefore they've had a carer or when the parents have been a, a full-time carer. Or you've just got some people who just simply don't earn enough money. They're on the, you know, near the poverty line or you know, they just haven't got enough money to, to be able to have the option of going away. So we started to think, do you know what, this would be a fantastic idea um, actually to see if we could set something up where we could pay for people to go away on holidays. And that was kind of the initial idea. That along with um, one of my friends straight after knowing that, you know, my kind of sporting background and being a PE teacher and what have you, actually said to me, look, we want to organise a memorial football match. Um, I'll organise it all. Um, we'll get people along and, you know, we can raise raise some money. So I was like, that's a great idea. It gave me something again to focus on um, and it being set for the August and the kind of support and the and the way that people bought into what we were doing was incredible. We got we said you know we're going to run an auction at the end of it, and some of the things that we got given were just amazing, um, and almost seemed too good to be auctioning off at a football match because we knew they probably wouldn't get anywhere near the value that that they they um, should get. Um, and we had something like about probably three four hundred people turn up to the football match. We raised about ten thousand pounds for um, a local children's hospice. Um, which had, um, we'd had a slight bit of involvement at the kind of uh, end of life care with Bodhi. Um, and, you know, fantastic charity, Rainbows. Um, and uh, after seeing the success of that and how much I personally had got out of it, I kind of thought, well, if I've managed to do that with, with, uh, with you know, a relatively short amount of time to organise it, um, what, what could we do longer term? And kind of married the two together and came up with this idea about trying to provide holiday homes or, or a holiday home for families who've been bereaved of a child. So, I mean, we'll talk about what it's become. Yeah. Um, so the initial sketch on the piece of paper was to create somewhere where people could get away from it. Yeah. But also to keep you busy. Yeah, I think that was... I don't know whether I necessarily saw that it that way at the time um i've since had conversations with my wife and i think she's absolutely right in terms of uh from the minute it started uh sorry from the minute that that bodie died i've just kept myself busy and i've just kept running uh, and i've never really stopped um it's my way of kind of dealing with it and whilst there's some kind of normality that does come back over time uh there's that much that we built with regards to the foundation that it now requires uh, me to be busy with it. And I, I get a huge amount of enjoyment out of it. So it's like you said, really, I, I've never envisaged, we're five years old as a charity now, and I never envisaged being where we are and how quickly we've developed things and where it's taken us. The, the initial idea was we provide a holiday home. We didn't entirely know how that looked. We knew that we wanted it on a holiday park. And I think initially we were looking at a, um, a kind of a two bed lodge um, that we were looking around about 80,000 so we thought if we can raise 150,000 that will give us a good start gives us a little bit of an option we can kind of you know set it up really nicely but the speed the money started coming in at um, from the events that we were doing and um, 
things that people were, were holding on our behalf, um, you know, different their own ways of fundraising. Um, the money grew ridiculously quick, and I think we we were somewhere. I think it took us two and a half years to raise two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, which ended up being we kind of moved the goalposts a little bit in terms of what we wanted, um, and kind of going extreme luxury. That was our target. And I think it was it was two and a half to three years when we actually got that uh, money, and um, you know the kind of the dream became a reality. But at the same time, that's when the really hard work started, because it was about trying to find the right location it was about trying to work out how we were going to manage and operate it um, you know everything from booking systems to making sure that we had referral partners um, so that we've got a, a stream of um, people who it would be open to to making sure that we always leave room for private referrals for those who aren't involved with with charities and hospices um, yeah it, it's the, the hard work started but you know it's great it's great it's it, it's it's important because you feel like you actually we are making a difference out there and that's that's the kind of like the thing that underpins everything is trying to make sure I, I, I can as I said earlier I can clearly remember back to what that first four or five weeks was like and although it seems a haze um, I can I can remember just how bad I felt and I thought if we can just make a difference to some families in terms of them having something to look forward to, something that little chink of light which I referred to earlier, then actually we're playing our part. We can't bring their child back. Um, their lives are changed forever. But what we can do is make them see that actually you, you can get through this. You can, it might take time, but you can get through this and we'll try and help you along the way. So just to go back, because... Um it is the Bodie Hodges Foundation. Yeah. And I know that you had well there it's a double it's a it's a double pronged attack, isn't it? Because obviously one of your one of your um uh, desires, I guess, was to raise awareness for organ donation. Yeah. Absolutely. Which obviously gave you uh, kind of a some kind of I'm kind of on an iron on this one because I don't know quite the words, but gave you that 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 What's the word? I mean, drive. Well, no, I was going to say drive. I was going to say you give you re- that relief to start with, but relief—it's too strong a word, isn't it? That kind of small amount of solace that you got when Bodie passed, well, when Bodie died, was was that he, he donated those organs? I think, I think that um, I, I kind of look at it two ways. I, I, I look at the organ donation is a really, really important thing um, because it's almost that really is Bodie's legacy. It's almost like what he, what he did in that two weeks or that ten days to two weeks when he was fighting for, um, how, when it, you know when he was hanging on so that he'd become an organ donor. To me, that told me everything about him. It told me a lot about his character. And I've mentioned this before, but I probably learnt more about him in that two weeks than I would if he was still alive now, if, or if, you know he'd lived to the age of eighteen or twenty. And for me, it was almost like he was telling me this is what I want to do. And really a lot of the organ donation with the camera is really me being a dad trying to look out for my son really, just trying to make sure that actually this is, I can clearly see what it meant to him. Um, which might sound strange because he was 10 months old and he was you know, in effect in a coma. But you know, if you're a parent you know these things at times. And um, the organ donation is, is it's important to me, but also know how important it is to Bodhi and how important it is to his legacy. Whereas the boat house side of things is based around our experiences immediately following uh, the death of Bodhi. Um, so yeah, um, the organ, organ, do- organ donation part is, is very much um, about Bodhi, but also with the boathouse and the things we're trying to do to support bereaved families, we can't bring their child back. It's happened, no services that we provide and the projects that we provide are for those families who the worst possible thing has happened to them. With organ donation, actually, we can prevent that from happening or we can do our bit to stop somebody. And that's quite empowering, knowing that you can actually, through telling Bodhi's story, through promoting organ donation, we can stop somebody getting to that point. We can stop somebody having to come and use the boathouse. We can stop somebody having to access one of our other projects for the treasured memory bags or the We've Love project because they won't need it because 
we've actually made a difference and helped save them. Um, and these were a lot of things which, when it comes to organ donation, that no one ever listens to, no one ever talks about, and it's never promoted. Everything is talked about, about the successes and the sad stories that come about of those waiting on a transplant list. Actually, no one ever talks about organ donation and the positive impact, not only does it have obviously on those who are transplanted to, but a positive impact it can have on those families that are grieving as well, and how you can really start to feel like you've made a difference and you've helped save other people. Um, and that never gets talked about, and I think if it did get spoken about, and there was more of a emphasis on speaking to families like ours, actually it might make people consider organ donation um, a little bit, uh, or, or give more thought to whether organ donation would be something they want to do, and particularly, you know, with their children as well, because a lot of people won't even entertain the thought of discussing um, organ donation, you know, or, or sign an organ donor register for their child, because it's just the absolute worst thing that they could ever imagine happening, and wouldn't ever want to be in that position. Um, or some people might think they're, you know, tempting fate if that happens, but. Um, a lot of people don't realise actually what it does for you whilst you're going through the grieving process as well. So we've got the Bodie Hodges Foundation and we've got two strands to it. And from how I would, in, you know, from, from what you said, I would infer that the organ donation side is, is the Bodie side. Yeah. And the fundraising, the the grieving family support, that's the Nick Hodges side. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think no, I mean they're no, both no. wonderful things. <laughs> but with you, until I started speaking about it, I've never hundred percent thought about it that way. But it kind of is, really. It's yeah, yeah it is. It's kind of. We, we we can all we can do is try and influence organ donation. Yeah. When and, and as I say, that's that's Bode's part of it. But when it comes to supporting families, we can be as creative as we want because yeah. we've been there, we've been in that situation, and. Yeah. We believe we know what people is going to, or what how people are going to benefit from it. So I guess from my point of view, um, from a story point of view, it's Bodie's story which is is it's the the key to trying to persuade people to consider organ donation. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's Bodie's story which has generated your experience. So your story, yeah, your Bodie's story that has generated the other half of this. The other yeah. strand, and so we've got the boathouse now, yeah. which we're sitting in, and is is I mean, is pretty high spec. Yeah. I think if someone gave you this as as a, a not just a holiday home, but as a home, you'd be I'd like, live it, yeah, yeah, I'd live it. I'd live it. Like Schmick, nice, like it, yeah. like it. Um, but I mean, the back of this, there's a lot of hard work that goes on. There's um, sporting events. Yeah, we've had. Um, talk me through some of the sporting events because we've had football matches at. At uh, the Premier, what was it? The Leicester Premier Premier Champion, Premiership yeah, Champions. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, as they were just, I think, weren't they? When the yeah. footballs, when they just about held on to their title when we played there. Yeah, yeah. We've we've um, again. I mean, we're 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 still a small charity, um, and until we're five years old, and until just before four years, we were run entirely on a voluntary basis. There was, you know, no one paid for anything, but because the uh, boat ice then became operational. Um, and it, you know we needed to be able to manage the families, the booking system, um, and also we needed to be able to fund things. Um, we took the decision that we would take someone on part time, which initially started two and a half days a week. Um, and again, because of demand and the growth of the charity, we've we've now grown to um, employing um, you know a full time position. Um, in terms of our sporting events, again, this is really our, they're kind of our blue ribbon events. My background is sport. A lot of my friends and contacts' background is sport. So you know you kind of play to your strengths in the in the early days. And say from the initial request for um, stuff for an auction, which we had at the football match, um, Bodie's Memorial match um, in August 2012, we had some ridiculously good items. Which we, you know, we just thought, you know, if we, if we auction them here, they're going to go for fifty quid or sixty quid, and they're probably worth seven, eight hundred pound in the right setting. Um, so we decided to organise a sports dinner, and the initial one we had was one hundred and seventy people. We had Paul Merson speaking, um, and we got rid of those items, and we ended up making thirteen thousand pound, which was a fantastic result. Um, and 
it's we've now just completed our sixth uh, annual sports dinner, um, which we had, you know, and our guests, our kind of guest speakers have got bigger and bigger, and we, we, we've just had Frank Bruno, um, who's come along, and uh, we've had 350 people at this one, so we've, you know, doubled from the size that we were, we've grown it steadily each year, um, and we've made £40,000. Um, from this one so you know it's it's a phenomenal amount of money for a small charity um, but we always kind of place an emphasis on this being our Blue Ribbon event this is our showcase and um, whereas it's gone from that initially that 170 people who came a lot being friends um, you know some businesses who again our friends work for who, who brought, you know had tables and stuff like that to actually being in a position the one we had last week where probably 70% of our guests were local businesses um, and as a result, that gave us a platform to kind of talk about what we were trying to achieve. And again, it's 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 such a strong and powerful story um, that when people hear about it and realise that we're very niche in what we do, um, and you talk about the lack of support out there for bereaved families, a lot of people want to get on board with it. And and you know, a lot of companies have. I think we've we've something like around about eight to ten charity partners now. Um, you know who do a huge amount for us in terms of financial support, um, services that they can provide. Just generally, um, it's just the growth of it. Then is kind of reflected in in terms of how we've grown as a charity. Um, again, the sport theme runs strong. You know, like you say, last year we had a, a um, an opportunity to use um, the King Power Stadium, the home of Leicester City for um, a football match and um, we raised around about £5,000 but that was an organ donation awareness um, match where um, we tried to use it as, a, as an op opportunity because of obviously the profile of where we were playing um, to try and raise as much awareness as we could about organ donation and get people to sign up um, and as I say that's that's always something which whatever event we're doing um, was something we will um, refer to um, and try and get people to sign up to it um, so we, you know, we run kind of two or three major events. We did a um, a Great North Challenge last year as well, where we um, we work quite closely now with uh, the Great North Run, um, and we always put a, a kind of team of people out. Um, and last year we decided to turn it into a challenge, starting at the boat house, where we had a team of um, swimmers who, who swam around the lake and handed a baton on to a team of cyclists who rode from Tallington all the way up to uh, Carlisle. Um, and then it's handed over to a team of walkers who did Hadrian's Wall and then handed over to us as a team of runners so we, we covered about 500 miles in uh, 10 days again it was to try and raise some money for the for let's the be honest the cyclists did the most of the work there didn't they they absolutely did I thought the ones so let's be honest they, they put in the hard yards I think I think you guys at the, the end you the just run. did a gentle jog it wasn't much was it nice little jog for 13.1 <laughs> miles it, it wasn't too strenuous to be honest with you but um, yeah, no, they absolutely they 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 did the hard yards definitely, but um, that was great. I mean, you know, it's it's always hard to measure the impact of um, how many people you get to sign up to organ yeah. donation. It's very very difficult. Um, we know we're having an impact, and there are certain kind of indicators, um, obviously as well as the physical forms that you get put in your hand. Um, but you know, we feel we've we've done a lot with that, and, and again, it comes through sport. Many of our ambassadors are through um, are through sport. Um, and although we would like to kind of expand on that as we're growing um, and not have such a reliance on sport it always be, will be our kind of backbone and, and people understand it and they buy into it and the sporting world is, is a fantastic way of it's you know without too many cliches it is quite a big family the sporting world and, and people do kind of tend to kind of look out for one another a little bit I think know. it's a it's a I don't know if it's a human trait or a British trait. I'm not quite sure, but it's kind of it seems that British people, sport and dogs, that's kind of like well, yeah. animals in general. Yeah, and sport, yeah. it's the yeah. two things, isn't it? For charities, it tends to be animals, and yeah. anything on TV that's sport, it's kind of people gravitate towards it. Yeah, people no, I, are sport fans. I think you know, it's not a bad way of of getting people in. You know, you've got the heavy hitters. It's it's interesting though. Of this world, you know. Yeah, I mean, again, we have to put a lot of thought into who we have as our as our guests. But it's, I, you know, I also find it interesting. You said there about kind of um, sport. I've also learned a lot about social media as well. And um, you know, we're on kind of most of the social media channels. But I know that if I put something on Facebook about sport, it gets hardly any response because our demographic 
actually gravitates a lot more towards um, uh, females aged 35 plus who you know a that's, lot of that also falls into that's Facebook is it, that's yeah that's 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 in Facebook so if I put yeah. something about sport we get a response obviously but it tends not to be that much if I put it on Twitter we get a lot bigger response if I put a story on or a post relating to Bodhi about organ donation we get loads of likes and it's about getting to know actually what's worth putting on which social media channel to kind of drum up that interest and you know that that's not trying to mislead anyone in any way it's just about knowing actually the best way of trying it, to kind of advertise things yeah. or, or get your message across it's the channel that you use to tell the story you yeah. know and the different social media people lump it into one big thing but they are very very different things absolutely know, different demographics a lot of people will have all of them but yeah. they use them for different things and engage in different ways yeah um, so yeah, I, I don't. But yeah, a lot more females on Facebook, yeah. and you know, Twitter's all about kind of instant reactions. Yeah, Facebook hangs around a lot. So if you want kind of considered conversation, yeah, yeah, you know, do you want Facebook? Whereas if you want, well, funny quips and smart ass comments, yeah, yeah, then Twitter's the place to go. No, yeah. absolutely. I, I still, what frustrates me about some of it is that, uh, and you talk, you refer to animals. I could put a video or a post on. You know, or I see videos and posts which break your heart when you see them about you know a child who might need, um, you know, a, 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 a new organ, uh, you know, needs it needs a transplant desperately, um, and you know they get two thousand likes. You put a picture of a cat or a video of a cat wearing a hat and it makes a funny noise and it gets eight million likes. I mean, you know. It and that frustrates is me. social media. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> frustrates me. It's because again, people just don't want to face reality. Well, I mean, there is that, but also I think animals, um, people consider animals, don't they, as helpless? As in, mm. we we we're superior to animals. We can help them. So yeah. we, you know, if you've got a puppy, oh, you know, you can cuddle it. Whereas humans are a little bit more prickly, and yeah. you know, you're not yeah. a doctor. What can you do? Yeah, that makes yeah. You know, yeah so no, I, I think people have that. There's the kind of hardwired almost. Mm. To um, to care more about animals, it's, mm. it's it, it constantly amazes me. And when there was a, I think it was a dog's home in Manchester burnt down, and immediately there was half a million pounds worth of donations or yeah. whatever it was. It was something staggering. Yeah. And you think, what 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 about all the homeless people on the streets? What yeah. what about well, them? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm I'm a, I'm probably not the best person to to kind of to 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 justify it always because I yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. I think I think people. People love animals in this country. I mean, they yeah. really, really do. And you only have to look for all the expats that go and run donkey sanctuaries in Spain yeah, yeah. and things like that. Whereas you walk around any city centre and you've got people that are really desperate and and you've got you know mental illness rife and and, and they yeah. go, oh, they're on drugs, they're on drink. Well, mate, if I lived on the street, I'd be off my tits every night basically yeah. because just anything to get by and just to get through it. Yeah, because it's a yeah. horrendous experience. Yeah, um, and I think that there is that bit of there, but for the grace of God, go I that people don't social media is that kind of people will click or they'll like but they won't actually do anything about it mm. um, but they, they, I suppose you don't really have to do you it's, that's the joy of social media it's a bit anonymous yeah no absolutely absolutely and you know you can make it work for you and, and at times it can frustrate you but yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking maybe the way forward is is to you know get a plea from a talking dog who says he needs a, a new kidney mate if you can if you can get a dog to say sausages and give money to Bodie Hodges Foundation. That's well, you, that's it. I won't have to run any more sports. It's gold, mate. It's gold. Yeah, and and if you have one actually having a kidney transplant, that'd be it. Yeah. Game over. We're the biggest biggest charity in the country. <laughs> but you, I mean, speaking of support, yeah, because I think it would be remiss not to touch on it. I know that I can wax lyrical for hours, but there is a lack of support there, isn't there, for people? Um, I found it a tangible lack of support for people who are trying to further the cause of organ donation yeah absolutely I, I, I've um, you get individual people who are very good um, and but generally when you look at it as an organisation very poor very very poor I mean we've worked very closely with the Peatrix family whose son Matthew needed um, a new kidney there were a number of complications early on um, which left him waiting eight years on a transplant list, and um, due to complications and antibodies, and, and you know, just just generally a tough, tough eight years. 
um, the odds went out to I think it was 650,000 to one um, chance of him actually getting a match which obviously you know basically implied that he wasn't going to leave, live a particularly long life um, and um, we became involved with that campaign um, we played a small part in it but we became very good friends with the family and you know absolutely thrilled that Matthew did get that kidney in the end and he's now doing very very well and he's he's leading a life or relatively leading life of a relatively relatively um kind of healthy and and comfortable teenager um so things have been you know great in, in regards to that but i know that um there there could never be enough support for people in his situation um as I mentioned earlier on, I think that there's a lot of coverage about transplants and I think they're very good at kind of telling the story and there are some uh, kind of media outlets which have got behind it a lot more. Um, but as a family who have been on the other side of it, on the organ donation, um, there is still an absolute lack of education um, within the country and that's not being led properly. Um, it's almost like people and organisations are looking for quick fixes um, to try and get more people to sign up but there are still so many reservations I speak with people people who are um, associates people who are friends people who are intelligent people and some of the comments I've heard as to the reasons why they've never yet signed up is shocking um, you know ranging from if I was to get ill they might not try as hard for me um, when I'm in hospital which is just ludicrous when you think that you know anyone who works uh, in a hospital their first and foremost um, uh, kind of rule is to preserve life and, and you know try and make sure that people come out of it well um, but they need to tell more stories like Bodhi's about actually when Bodhi went through that 24 hours of testing um, whoever would have been receiving his kidneys they've received tests they, there's checks to see whether there's a match they know the history from questioning the family they know the history of that person um, so they know what the kind of organ is going to be that they're getting all these tests are done um, they're not going to pick up kind of deadly diseases or anything as a result of it um, people don't understand that when Bodhi went down for his operation um, it's different teams of surgeons for different organs that come in and it's treated as an operation that if he was a living breathing child he was going to make a full recovery and when he's returned to us he just looked beautiful he looked absolutely angelic um, you know I think people think they get butchered um, interestingly, I'm, I'm a teacher, and after a couple of years, I was speaking to my form group, um, who knew everything that had gone on. I've always been quite open about it, but I'd never really spoken about um, actually Bodie's organ donation for um, um, in front of them um, until you know a couple of years later on. And I asked them what their views were on it, and what they thought, and what they understood about it, and it was like some of them thought it was like something out of Frankenstein where he was laid down on a cold slab someone just kind of you know probably watched too many TV programs and stuff someone just slices them open with a pen knife puts her hand inside and pulls it out but I actually think there's a lot of adults who think that as well I really do and that's the job of our kind of national governing bodies to get that message out there to actually look at it from the you know the point of view of the organ donor family so talk about the process educate people so actually people can make an informed decision about it. So whether we do opt-in, whether we're opt-out, people have still got the information they need so that they can make an informed decision. That's, you know, there's all this talk to the family, tell them what your wishes are. How can you tell somebody if you don't have the information? You've got that information, you know you've made an informed decision, then you can pass that information. And people understand why you've made that decision, so they would be less likely to contest it if you are then in a situation where you are asked you know you're you're lying there you're not going to make it your organs are considering being donated but your family are re rejecting it saying well we don't know if that's what they wanted um yeah they do need to have the conversation but they need to be able to have, make an informed decision and education has not been something um which anywhere near enough stuff is done about and we are actually going to be running we've just received some funding through the aviva community um fund and we're going to be looking at actually doing an organ donation education program in Leicestershire schools where that's exactly what we're going to do. We're not going out there telling people you should become an organ donor. We're going to go out there and we're going to present facts and we're going to tell them about the impact it has. Um, we're going to tell them about what happens during the process 
and you know I think the younger generation are very open-minded um, and I think that's our best bet to be honest with you um, because the, as I say there, there's not enough support in my opinion for families like us I've, I've offered to do whatever whatever has been needed um, to help promote it to talk about it from an organ donation site to talk about how it's helped me in my grief which is a very very important and powerful thing um, and in the early days we had a little bit of um, kind of um, support and you know we did a, a few media things in on the TV and the rate but you know we never get the phone call anymore we never get the phone calls asking us whether we still want to share Bodhi's story and it's such a powerful story and then when you put it alongside Matthews you know the fact that uh, myself and Matthews dad Craig are you know very good friends we, we run half marathons together and you know we're, we're kind of united by one very special thing we've both got two sons that are linked strongly into organ donation. My son didn't make it, but was able to offer an organ. His son needed one, and managed to receive one. And you know, so part of me just takes great joy in seeing Matthew live on. Um, and it's such a powerful story. Yet, I don't know, people just don't seem to pick up on it, except for you, Ben, obviously with his podcast. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's how you've used the story. I guess um, your you know Bodie's story which is obviously intrinsically linked to you and your family. Yeah. And how you've done that and you've built, I won't say a charity empire, but it no. seems it's kind of getting there, isn't it? I mean, you can't seem to move uh, without another award, a dinner, a half marathon, yeah. this, that or the other. Yeah. You seem to get more and more people on board um, and support you. Is there kind of a, I mean, it, well, I guess two things. Is it what are the next steps? Yeah. What does what does what does success look like mm-hmm. for Bodie Hodges Foundation? But yeah. also, I've, I've never run a charity, so um, is that that kind of like there's only a finite amount of goodwill and charity available? And, and do you ever think you're competing with other charities? Right. To take your second point first, yeah. yes, you do feel like you're competing with other charities because exactly as you said, there is there is you'll always get sympathy, you'll always get. Um, uh, a, a huge amount of people have supported us but things in their lives change as well and other mm. things become important so somebody might be supporting you and then all of a sudden someone in their family might get cancer and they've received particular um, you know, support from a charity and they feel, and that's absolutely fine I get that, no problems at all we've had to rely on charities as well and you know um, since Bodhi's died for different for different things and it's important you know charities are, you know, or 99.9% of charities are, are there for a really really important reason but yeah you do compete against them because um, there is only so much funding that a company is going to give or so much in a funding pot um, or only so many events that, that individuals can attend um, so you've got to make yours bigger and better so we try and run our charity very much like a business so the events that we do hold um, we don't cut corners we could save ourselves a lot more money and you know for example things like audio visual when we have the evening on you know we could do a, a, a pull down a, a pull down kind of projector um, and a laptop and, and play a film and, and have a couple of background shots is that going to impress people and make them want to spend another 70 pound coming back next year probably not but this is a reason we've grown each year because we kind of try to run it like a business and try and make sure that when people leave first of all they're understanding what we're about hopefully we're getting their support or they're considering supporting what we're trying to do um, but also they feel like they've had a really good experience either at that event or at that evening and we'll want to come back and we'll want to support us and kind of we've grown to a point now where um, I think we you know if we run a sports dinner next year and I announce myself as the guest speaker um, people would be very bored but I think you still get 250 <laughs> people come along just because they enjoy the evening here's a yeah, presentation of me in various yeah. shorts and yeah, uh, exactly. PE kits yeah wearing some, wearing across some the years. shorts and a base layer but yeah. Um, so yeah it, it does it is competitive and, and you're right there is kind of only so much goodwill and I don't people don't mean that in a bad way um but people do have other priorities or you know businesses say we always support a new charity each year which is a good thing because you know otherwise they might have, we might not have got to some of these companies because they might have stuck with somebody else at an earlier point but I think the difference is sometimes you hit home a lot more with some people and some businesses because it might have happened to them they know someone it's happened to um, they just can't imagine ever having to deal with that and therefore 
or they, they actually listen to what we're saying and say, do you know what, actually, um, you know, cancer's cancer's a massive problem. We all we all know that, but there are hundreds of cancer charities, probably I don't know exactly how many in the UK. They all do absolutely fantastic work. Um and you know, most of us are gonna need to access them at one point or another. But at the same time, some people don't know at times which one to support because there are that many. Um, when you find some of the smaller charities, um, which I've also learned the last two, three years, some people like the fact that they're working with smaller charities as opposed to some of the bigger ones where they become a little bit too corporate. Um, There's always that, isn't there? Where's the money go? Exactly. The bigger the charity, the Absolutely. more you go, well, hold on a minute. How, how much is that chief exec getting paid? This, exactly. That, that? exactly. And, and I, I, have, I have kind of two views, and it's easy for me to comment on this because um, you know I don't work for the charity. Everything I do is on a voluntary basis. Um, you know, so I don't take any money out of it at all. Um, if someone's adding value, I understand, but it's very difficult to persuade somebody to want to part with their money and support something where a chief exec is getting a hundred thousand pound a year plus. We try and make sure that I say we've got one full time position, um, that they're, they're they're paid at a rate which is acceptable, um, they're paid at a rate which matches their skill set. They bring a huge amount to uh, the charity and have kicked us on since employing them since employing them you know they've really really kicked us on um but at the same time we've got to make sure that we're looking after that all the time and they understand that if we're in a situation where you know the money stops coming in they won't have a job anymore because we'd have to go back to being a, mm. you know a, a completely voluntary it would change the whole dynamics of the charity um but you know we'd have to change the way that we are but going back to your other question ben about um you know where where the kind of vision is I'll be honest with you we were so focused for the first three four years on getting this boat house up and running um, and I think where I was at with my grief at the time very kind of tunnel visioned really um, it was just all about the boat house um, we kind of got there got it up and running and then I was a bit like right what what are we doing now I'm not sure we want to make this the best it can be and we need to keep bringing money in so that we can you know, run it and we can, you know, obviously pay the wage we need to be able to manage it and continue with the events. We need to, you know, look after everything that's in there. But what else can we do? And I had things kind of swirling around my head, but not really put down on paper. So we've kind of spent a year really kind of kicking back a little bit and thinking, right, what else can we do which is tangible, um, which is going to help um, families? So I kind of, in our short term, we've got a couple of new projects. Um, We've got one which has been backed by a company called Smallman and Son, um, where you can get a cushion or a teddy bear made from your child's clothes. Um, and it took us a long time to kind of part with some of Bodie's clothes. Um, but we um, sent them off and they've been changed into, we went for a little monkey, um, and all of it's made from Bodie's clothes. And it it's brought so much comfort to us. You know, instead of them just being sat in a in a kind of a, you know, stored away, you know, pre very precious to us. Now we see it every day. Um, it's been turned into something positive. I remember seeing the reaction it got from Lila, um, which was worth having done. Um, so that's one of our projects. So every family now comes and stays. We're piloting it at first, but every family comes and stays in the boathouse. Um, we will be offering um, the option of them having um, something made from their child's clothes. Obviously, it's an optional thing. The second thing is we started looking very much at actually the impact on siblings um, and obviously we had you know our, our daughter was five at the time she's you know now approaching 12 and there are some serious concerns about the impact you know such a tragic event has on those children you know and research shows that actually it can lead to um, depending on age where they're at and how it's dealt with they can bottle these things up um, not talk about them and it can have a huge impact on on um, on their kind of well-being as they get older. You know, there's a lot of self-harming, um, you know, suicidal thoughts, all sorts of things. And you know, and after everything you've been through, you you do not be wanting to kind of even consider the thought that you might be losing another one. Um, so we've we've initially made our kind of um, start on this, where we're going to be doing something called treasured memory bags. Um, again, this is something which we're piloting to start with. Um, and basically it's it's a kind of a toolkit of um, things that children can use or parents can use to work with children. Um, anything ranging from um, 
uh, like an actual treasure box which they can put write down memories and put those into so that they don't forget um, there are things like timeout cards they can give to their teachers and um, we've got something in there called worry bear boo and this is something we did with our daughter because she was obviously only five at the time any any worries that she had she used to write them down and she used to put them into a pot and we used to take one out each night and we talk it through so that she could kind of understand that we were trying to deal with each one and we can only deal with one thing at a time um, and there were some supporting books in there from you know bereavement books uh, like a big bag of worries again so it's just giving an opportunity for the families um, with their siblings to talk things through and for them not to bury it and we think that I have quite or hope that that will have a significant impact um, and will help them again longer term and also in the short term so these are two projects which we're rolling out over the next year um, but we still have a, a longer term vision really kind of three to five years down the line of it's becoming apparent that we want to get involved earlier on um, whilst we offer the boathouse I thought be honest with you that more people would take it earlier but it's seeming to be that actually people are taking it a few months down the line which is absolutely fine that's not a problem um, but we've just been part of a child death review um, to do with the NHS it's been commissioned by the government um, and we've had a, a small amount of um, kind of impact uh, not impact sorry um, input which hopefully will have an impact um, in terms of in effect leaflets that are handed out um, once um, a child dies now it's a horrible thing to say you get handed a leaflet but there is certain information that you do need and the way that it was structured before wasn't particularly it didn't read well um, it needed to be kind of worded more sensitively um, with with appropriate information but I very much feel that everybody should have almost like a, a case worker so that when a child does die they've got someone immediately who they can pick the phone up to and say I need help with this what what are my rights um, you know what are my rights in terms of when I need to return to work what can my employer expect how do I arrange a funeral what's expected with uh, regards to cost for funeral um, you know we had situations where I had to ring up and cancel a holiday and it was that was so insensitively it, it, it was incredible um, you know asking if I could send proof of death straight away as though which is in a way a perfectly acceptable question to ask but when you you know two three days or whatever after your child's died and someone's asking you you know as though you might be lying about it to get out of uh, you know to be able to get your insurance back on a holiday um, you know it, it, sometimes it would be better dealt with by somebody else um, but we want to you know our longer term vision is, is certainly initially uh, within the region that we work in is have somebody who will be trained to do that who can link in with the hospitals and actually be able to provide that service we've spoken to a number of parents early on who've lost children and they've said I don't want to be making all these phone calls I want people to be contacting me to offer their services and their help and I understand that it was an absolute minefield for myself and my wife when we had to deal with it and you know we are people who have to deal with pressure uh, most of the days in our jobs and there will be some people who just wouldn't be up to it and they might miss out on a lot of opportunities and actually have a severe impact on their mental health and um, I was speaking with another charity at the child death review um, where and this shows how important early intervention is um, their child passed away um, it was an accident um, in the hospital didn't didn't um, once he was rushed into hospital unfortunately didn't last very long three days later although absolutely no fault at all was attached to anybody or blame attached to anybody uh, the husband killed himself committed suicide because he couldn't handle it so it's now left a, a wife grieving a you know the loss of her child and her husband and a, and a, a remaining sibling um, you know trying to deal with the loss of a brother and, a, and a, a dad and again it's that thing of if early intervention and more support is put in place maybe that wouldn't have happened um, but we also know that that's a very big project and we're not quite there yet in terms of being able to support that financially um, but it's something we want to build towards so as I say that we are actually getting in having that early intervention helping people at an earlier stage so that almost we've got a group of projects that help people along the way um, to the point where they're back up on their feet you know as I've said before 
it's not something you're cured of when when uh, when a child dies. It's not something that oh they'll be all right in in a couple of years time. Not the case at all. Um, you just learn to adapt. Um, you learn to kind of uh, get back up on your on your feet. But you know life's entirely different. It is entirely different to the way it was before. But we just want to help support people in being able to to do that by running as many different projects as we can um, and grow, but grow at a speed where the quality of what we do is always of the highest or of the highest importance it's not about growing as quickly as we can and doing things badly um, and I think we're doing pretty well at the moment with regards to that so finally things have slowed down a touch you took a after the boathouse was finished you had that reflective period and thinking about what else you wanted to do with the charity yeah did the grief catch up with you or was it a case of it was dealt with as you were busy running this journey to get the foundation up and running? Um, I've been I've been quite open about this. I the grief first caught up with me about eighteen months after, um, where I'd been um, again sport, but again I'd been training for a half marathon. I'd, you know, even though I used to play a lot of football, I thought of running 13 miles was just ridiculous. So I've been doing a lot of training for the marathon. It still is for all of us. So, <laughs> yeah, just a 26.2 to do next month for me. Um, yeah, um, I've been training for that, and I, I again, I decided I was going to carry, run the half marathon wearing a 14 kilogram weighted vest, which represented the weight of Bodie when he passed away. He was a big lad, but he was also pumped, obviously, full of a lot of drugs and carrying a lot of... Uh, um, extra kind of fluid so he, he was very heavy and uh, you know I've been very focused on that but I'd started to find that um, I was starting to get very irritable um, I was starting to not cope with things which wouldn't have bothered me before um, and I remember going into work one day and um, just felt incredibly anxious um, I felt I'd been building up I remember someone cut me up on the, on the road and you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a relatively calm person but I remember being absolutely incensed that someone had done this, and I actually kind of thought that, that this isn't like me. I'm starting to get angry, and I know that kind of anger is one of those phases that that you that you go through, and um, I ended up um, end up having three weeks off um, because I just kind of just losing the plot to be honest. It was almost like a, a bit of a mini breakdown. When I say a mini breakdown, I don't know what the difference between a breakdown and a mini breakdown is. But I needed time off. I needed time away just to kind of collect my thoughts a little bit, slow down. I remember during that period I was off, um, I went out did a lot of walking, I did a reasonable amount of running and stuff like that, but just needed time to kind of process things. And that really kind of sorted me out um, and kind of got me back, kind of back in the in the real world again. Um, but it was definitely kind of like, you know, men a mental health um, issue that I was having. Um, and again, you know, just life continued and, and, and kind of like picked up speed again. and. Um, you know, our family has has kind of uh, grown again in that time, but I've I've also recently had a had a um, a, a bit of a, a setback as well in terms of you know everything just got on top of me again, um, and uh, again I, I end up having a period of time off, a little different from last time, um, I, different from last time in terms of I didn't feel as um, kind of um, I wouldn't go as far as calling it like a breakdown this time. I would say it was more of a I was just worn out, absolutely shattered, um, and um, again, I had to reflect a little bit on actually, we've grown a charity now, we've got more people in place, we've got more trustees, I need to let go of a few more things now, and just have an overview of what we're doing, and kind of try and have a vision for the charity, instead of trying to be hands-on with absolutely everything. Um, you know, and I've started to make those changes, and I said well, we've got great people working for us, um, whether it be voluntary or you know, or our actual employees. Um, you know, we're building up a team of volunteers. Um, so actually, you know, my ambition is that this can run just as well without me being here. So if I do need to take a period of time off, it's fine. It can be done. Um, but at the same time, I've got no interest in stepping away from it. This is, this will be something I'll be involved in and, until the, the day I die. You know, um, because it's something I believe passionately in. Um, it's the legacy that I want to continue to grow for Bodhi. Um, I say he's he's far more well known, and I will be in all of life. I'll 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 lead, you know. Um, 
in fact by a lot of people I'm just known as Bodie's dad uh, yeah. not Nick Hodges which I don't mind at all but um, yeah we um, it's it's been difficult at times it has been difficult as I said I have kept running but that's the sort of person I am anyway even if this hadn't happened I'm always a busy person I do find it hard to sit down and kind of relax um, but you know it's it's given me that focus and to be honest with you I used to watch a lot of Coronation Street and EastEnders and I've just basically stopped watching that and used that time to you know kind of do something a little bit more constructive with uh, my life and and um, and uh, it is a balancing act at times but it's um, it's so worthwhile so so worthwhile and just the thing to pick up on what you said um, you mentioned that it surprised you that people were using the boathouse maybe months after a bereavement yeah I think from what you've said, you might be interested in to open up to people who maybe a couple of years down the line might need to get away again. Because if that caught up with you after a couple of years, there might be other people out there that might just need that fortnight away somewhere a bit secluded. Yeah. Well, it, it's again, we, we learn, we're learning all the time with regards to this and, um, you know, it's a bit like when we first started it off. It was kind of um, everyone was just kind of assumed it's it's from zero from the age of zero, uh, you know, newborn to eighteen. Actually, you know, people have stillbirths. You can't say no, sorry. Yeah. Um, if someone was eighteen years and a day old when they lost their son, does that make it any easier than if they were seventeen, seventeen years, three hundred and sixty-four days old? If you lose a child, you lose a child. Yeah. Um, and whilst we're not, you know, miscarriage is a different thing. It's very sad, but it happens to a lot of people, and we wouldn't be able to cope with the demand. And it is an entirely different thing um, to actually um, kind of the child death, um, which may be disputed by some, but that's very much the way that we see it. So we we do have. Um, uh, kind of an option on the way that we look at it and we do change things. If someone came back to us and said, look, it's our, we're really struggling, something's just happened, it's the five year anniversary, we'll make a decision with regards to that. We kind of take it on a on, on an um, individual basis. Um, you know, if someone came back and said it happened 25 years ago, um, you know, we're probably going to say, look, you know, <laughs> it's not really the purpose, you know, we're really sad for what happened, but it's not really the purpose of what it's there for, it's to try and help people get back up on their feet. But you know, we had a we did have a family who, who lost a child. Um, f- well, I think it was four, or five years ago, maybe a little bit before that. Um, and we were free over New Year, um, and they asked if they could come out during New Year. Um, it's a family that we do know um, lost a child under very tragic circumstances, um, and they said that it was the first time on a New Year where all the family had got together and they'd actually kind of celebrated New Year in that time. Um, and kind of again things like that it's kind of about impact we've got a book here where a lot of our guests leave um, a lot of our guests leave comments and it's amazed me how much more important this place is than I ever thought Um, you know there've even been comments in there about I think you probably just saved our marriage which is amazing if that is the case Um, but just giving those families that time together um, to create memories um, to spend some time with siblings with one another to talk things through it's kind of that's what this is all about just give them a little bit of a platform to just try and move on um so yeah it's it's you can't be as you can't be as cutthroat to say no sorry it's only within the first kind of you know x amount of months that you can use it um we you know we we do have flexibility with regards to it because we understand that everybody's situation and 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 stories are different but as i say we're learning all the time as we go through our kind of uh, grief as well I think you're doing quite well on the learning front then I think um, what you've done I mean I'm, I've got no shame in saying that I'm more impressed is not the right word because impressed seems to it belittles it slightly I think it's amazing I think it's amazing um, that um, th- those 10 months on earth as it were um, are going to build a legacy his story is going to build a legacy which is going to touch more people than than most would ever yeah um, and that's no that's 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 you know, down to your family and, and to your drive um, and I think that probably a good you know that's that's uh, it's like circumstance isn't it if you're one of those people that actually just wanted to sit still after something terrible happened it would never would have happened 
Yeah, and and that's fine, and that's fine because I I thought there are a lot of people who kind of make oh I could never have done this, and it's not about me trying to like make ourselves look or oh, look what we've done. It's not about that. There are a lot of people who would turn to all sorts of different things to cope, you know, things which aren't good. Um, there are a lot of people who just can't fit, and that's fine because everybody grieves in a different way, yeah. and you can't help for the way that you feel, but this is the way that I've dealt with it um, and if it does have a positive impact fantastic if it makes a difference fantastic um, as I say I'm you know I'm certainly not looking for plaudits with regards to it it's always nice to have positive feedback from people the most important thing as far as I'm concerned is I know already we've saved lives out there well the very fact that Bowie donated organs he saved lives we know that the campaigning we've done since will have saved lives might not be a huge amount but it will have and if we can stop one death as a result of the campaigning we do that's good enough for me that's worth the next 60 years worth of work and if we can also make a difference to to what um people have been through um and help them on their way again it's worth all the hard work it's not about me it will always direct it in terms of it's about Bodhi and that legacy that he's left but as i say some people just it 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 grips you in such a way you have no idea however well you think you know yourself you have no idea when something like this happens how it's going to change you as a person you kind of like almost go it's like going into a washing machine you don't know what you're going to come out the other end do you know what I mean it changes you as a person um, and you know some people can't haven't got the, the can't find it in them to do something like this and that's absolutely fine that's absolutely fine if they're staying at home concentrating on actually just coping every day keeping their family together that's an important thing as well Nick Hodges thanks very much thank you very much Ben cheers I hope you enjoyed that episode please subscribe for more of the same with different people talking about storytelling um, covering different aspects uh, drop me an email you can if you want it's hello at epicureben.com. And any suggestions, anybody wants to be on the podcast, if you like storytelling, if you've got a story to be told, don't know, I'm just witchering now. Really, I'm just, just going on about stuff. If you listen to this point, well, I mean, well done. I mean, really well done. And to be fair, if I was awarding badges, you'd get one. Um, yeah, but I'm not. Well, could do, I guess. It's all badges made, couldn't I? I love getting my stuff made. But uh, that's just me. Anyhow, Daryl.